Welcome to Chaos Theory Sports. I'm Dylan. And I'm Michael. And we are here to talk to you today about alternate sports history. So we were presented with this opportunity by our school, Medfield High School, to have a senior project for the spring of our senior year. And we decided we want to make a podcast about alternative sports history because yeah. we love talking about sports. Yes, we're both avid sports fans. You know, go Pats, go Sox, go Celts. And we thought this is go a... Go Bruins. Exactly. Even though nobody really cares about the Bruins. Uh, biased opinion. Uh, bold. But, <laughs> very bold. But we thought that this was a great chance to really delve into something that we were very interested in and passionate about during our final semester at school. So, with that being said, our first episode is about the 2013 trade between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. This was quite the steal for the Celtics. Well, looking at say. us as our unbiased sports fans right here, literally saying we're Celtics fans in the intro, we think that this was a phenomenal trade for the Celtics. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the trade, the Brooklyn Nets receive Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, and DJ White, with the Celtics receiving a batch of role players of Chris Humphreys, Gerald Wallace, Chris Joseph, Marshawn Brooks, and Keith Bogans. And then they got the worst of the Hawks or Nets 2014 first-round pick, the 2016 Nets first-round pick, the 2018 Nets first-round pick, and the Celtics gained the right to swap their 2017 first-rounder with the Nets if they wish to do so. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you're like, um, okay, Michael. But basically, it's just a bunch of trash players plus a whole bunch of first-round picks for the Celtics. And the Nets got basically all the Celtics all-stars at the time who were aging very rapidly and pretty much at the end of their career. But at the time, one could think this is actually an okay trade because Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce... They were the face of the Celtics franchise for numerous years. They were the guys that won us the championship. But yeah, these guys, these guys, these were the face of the Celtics. I mean, they had the big three. Obviously, Ray Allen had already left in free agency for the Miami Heat uh, a couple years before. Um, and, and then Doc Rivers had just left to be head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. These are like the last two big pieces remaining from the most recent golden era of Celtics basketball. And now they were going to a New York team which in and of itself is an interesting dynamic considering the tensions between Boston and New York sports franchises historically. But, I mean, these are, they're obviously great players. They're a little bit past their prime, but the Nets are, they were the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs the year before, lost in the first round. They, they really want to get that next level up to championship contention, and they believe getting these guys does that for them. All right, so we have to ask ourselves, why the Nets are employing this strategy of just buying an entire new team, just on a whim. And now, the reason for that is our good friend Mikhail Prokhorov. This is a man who ran for the president of Russia. I don't really know how much he knew about sports at the time, but obviously not a lot if this is the strategy that he's trying to employ. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, Prokhorov promised a championship to the Nets franchise within five years. A very bold promise. And to do that, he was going to move the franchise from New Jersey to New York City. And you know, if you make a promise to a New Yorker and you don't follow through on it, just say bad things are probably going to happen to you. That is very correct, Michael. That is very correct. Now, to do this, he is going to move the franchise from New York to New Jersey and build an entirely new stadium called the Barclays Center. He promised a global market from New York to Moscow for this team. I'm going to say, you're not even the best team in New York. The Knicks... Knicks have such a much better brand than you. You're not going to be a global brand from Brooklyn. Can you do Manhattan? Manhattan is the mecca of New York. 
It's a global market. Brooklyn, it just it just isn't. Given the fact that he didn't actually win the presidency in Russia, I don't imagine that he's the most popular man in Russia and that he's going to really be attracting a large fan base. But we could be wrong, and just the fact that this is the first foreign owner of an NBA franchise, it could attract some attention. Yeah, it's definitely good to improve diversity in the league. And I'm sure the NBA would love that. I mean, if people in Moscow were huge fans of Brooklyn, they want to get the global brand, they want to get jersey sales out there, they want people to be watching the games. And to cap it all off, he thought that just sending away all his draft picks, bidding as much money as possible on any NBA free agent on the market... He thought that he could just buy a championship. And let me tell you, Michael, that did not work out for the Brooklyn Nets. No, it did not. And now, so if you look at how these players panned out for them, Kevin Garnett, he's a power forward and he's a center. So he's a guy that's going to get points in the paint, a lot of rebounds. So let's look at his 2013 season with Boston. He played 68 games, scoring 15 points and getting about eight rebounds a game, shooting 50% from the field. So he's... He's still a very good player, even as he's getting up there in age. Now, 2014 season with Brooklyn, six points a game, six rebounds, 44% from the field, only playing in 54 games. So even from the start, he loses so much value from the player that the Nets saw him as. And honestly, Michael, what more can you expect from a 37-year-old big man, seven years removed from his last championship and 10 years removed from his prime? Do they really think that he was just going to be to come in carry a brand new team to a new championship? Well, they did, clearly. Uh, didn't work out for him, as his 2015 season was just as bad as his 2014 season, statistically. And the Nets did worse. They didn't even win a playoff series, as they had done the year before. And then midway through the 2015 season, he was actually traded back to the Minnesota Timberwolves, his home franchise for Thaddeus Young. Garnett wanted to finish out his career there, so the Nets did get a bit of a steal as Thaddeus Young is probably a much better player at this time than Kevin Garnett was. Moving on to the other centerpiece of the trade, Paul Pierce. With Boston the year before, he got 18.6 points a game as a 36-year-old. I'd say that's pretty good. About five assists and six rebounds as well. You know, he put together a pretty good package that year. So obviously he looks like a pretty tempting. He's uh, a pretty good three-point shooter. Oh yeah, you know? for sure. And so, you know, he, he had a pretty good resume coming into the season. They thought that this guy could lead them to another championship. 2014 with Brooklyn, 37 years old, immediately hits a cliff, as all 37-year-olds do in their entire lifetime. Right, Michael? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little scared for age 37. 37 seems Honestly. like a scary year. If we can tell anything based off this. 13 points a game, 2 assists, 5 rebounds. And that's all the Nets get from uh, an aging Paul Pierce. As the next year in 2015, he signs a 2-year $11 million contract with the Washington Wizards, and he's on his way. And so the last piece of note going over to the Nets is Jason Terry, who is six man for most of his career, filled that same role with Boston, scoring about 10 points a game, and he played in 79 games, so clearly very durable. And then he goes over to the Nets, scores four points, only plays in 35 games. So the only actual players that are important that are going to Boston this deal are Chris Humphreys and Gerald Wallace. And obviously, uh, Chris Humphreys has had his fair share of time in the press. You know, Absolutely. Divorce, messy marriage, and divorce with Kim Kardashian. Yeah, so that's it's always a great thing for a professional athlete to be involved in. Yeah, the whole thing was pretty much a hoax. She just did it just for media attention. Really, nothing more than that. Yeah. Garner some uh, some uh, NBA fans of hers in the process, but that's about it. Yeah, I think the fact that that's the more noteworthy part of his career, I think that says all you need to know about him as a player. Yeah, and just yeah, just the players that the Celtics got in general. Yeah. That's the most notable piece of what they got. So, 
And then Gerald Wallace comes to the Celtics. Uh, he's a fairly big name. He's former All-Star. He's been in the league for a while. But, I mean, yeah, he's a, he was a starter in Brooklyn, becomes a role player in Boston, retires in 2016. So it doesn't make that big of an impact, but he's a name. You know, maybe he'll bring some fans to the stadium. Now, the real, the real meat on this deal comes from the draft picks. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. So the first one, the 2014 first-rounder coming from the Nets to the Celtics, Number 17 overall, they select James Young. You just, Haven't heard of him. Yeah. As a Celtics fan, I've never heard of him. He just rotates between Celtics and uh, their G League affiliate, the main Red Claws, for three years. Went to the Pelicans for a bit. He's out of the league now. Not noteworthy at all. 2016, things start to get good here for the Celtics. Number three overall pick. This included the Nets are now awful. They've lost all those pieces that they got. Pierce and Garnett are both gone. And now they're tanking, and they can't even get their first-round pick as a reward for being so bad. We got Jalen Brown. That's a man I've heard of. As a full-time starter in the 2018 season, he wasn't that good of a player as a rookie, but scores 14.5 points per game, 5 rebounds, almost shooting 40% from 3. He's a great all-around player. Uh, she should be an all-star in a couple of years. His potential will be even, even a Kawhi Leonard, his max potential, in my opinion. I think he could be a Kawhi Leonard-type player. So the next pick was actually a throw-in by the Nets during the trade. They agreed to swap first-round picks in the 2017 draft with the Celtics. So the Nets are like, "Oh, like this is Boston's not going to swap with us. We're going to have, we're going to be great in 2017. We're going to have the worst first-round pick." Well, guess what? This pick ended up being the number one overall pick of the draft in a draft where there was considered to be a slam dunk number one overall prospect, Markel Fultz. That did not work out well. And the Celtics would not have taken him number one overall anyway. So instead of the Nets getting the number one overall pick, they got the number 27 overall pick, which became Kyle Kuzma. And the rights to him uh, were traded along with Brooke Lopez to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov. So Mozgov is contract monstrosity. And D'Angelo Russell has been a pretty good young player for the Nets. But more importantly, the number one overall pick is now in the hands of the Celtics. GM Danny Ainge wasn't done taking advantage of other teams. He knew that he wanted to take Jason Tatum, number one overall. He, that was his number one prospect. But he knew that any team were to trade up number one, they would take Marco Fultz, and that the Lakers were going to take Lonzo Ball, the hometown UCLA player, at number two. So he figures, why don't I trade down the third spot where the 76ers are, get a first-round pick for the future, and still take the guy I want to take. So Boston traded number one overall pick to the 76ers, for the number three overall pick and a future first round pick that had various protections on it, which ends up conveying to the 2019 Sacramento Kings first rounder. So let's role play for a minute. You be uh, Celtics GM Danny Ainge, I'll be the owner Wick Grossbeck. All right, so this is draft day, right? Draft yep. day 2013. Hey boss, we got two unprotected first round picks from Brooklyn for Garnett, Pierce, Terry, and White. We gotta take on some contracts, but that's a pretty epic deal in my opinion. What do you say, boss? You know, it's pretty good, pretty good. I mean, I like that. But you know what? Let's try and get a third. I mean, these guys these guys are franchise icons. Uh, the, the fans, I don't think the fans are going to buy that, man. For only two first-rounders? Dude, are you crazy? We're going to lose the deal if I keep pushing. Go for it. All right, all right, boss. Whatever you say, boss, I'll ask. Oh, my gosh, they actually bought it. Boss, they actually bought it. We're getting three picks. Wow, that's that's good. You know what? I feel I feel like they got some sort of deal fever. I think just go try and go get a fourth. Just keep going until they say no. Keep pressing. I think that guy Prokhorov, I think he just really wants to get a deal done. He's a little anxious about the franchise. Uh, they don't care about the future. It's just keep pressing. Boss, 
Are you out of your mind? No. All right, then I'll go for it. Yep, see, boss, they, they rejected it. They rejected the What about a trade thing. swap? I, what's the good of a trade swap? Well, it, maybe it'll work out for us. It, there's no loss. I mean, we're going to be trash. They're going to be good. We're probably going to want to keep our pick. But, I mean... Go for it. That's an right. order. All right, sir. Uh, they bought it. They bought it, sir. They bought it. Fantastic. Uh, the deal's a done deal? Pull the trigger. All right, here we go. All right, so now let's get into the meat of this. The whole idea behind this podcast, the chaos theory aspect of it. Now, for those of you who don't know, chaos theory is just the idea that changing one small little thing will have a large effect down the road, kind of like the butterfly effect, if you've ever heard of it. Now, the butterfly effect states that if a butterfly flaps his wings, it causes a hurricane somewhere else around the world through various steps and uh, escalations throughout time. So that's basically the whole basis of chaos theory and what this podcast is really about. So now let's start to get into that, the alternative timeline Celtics in the Nets. We can start at the Celtics, and I think we can reasonably assume that after getting the 7 seed the year before with a 41-40 and 40 record, and I think we can also assume that maybe Doc Rivers wouldn't have left. It's possible. Even though he left before the trade, the whole that whole thing kind of happened together. So you'd think that they'd at least have a 500 record or close to that, as the Bucks that year were an 8 seed with a 38-44 and 44 record. So I think you can assume they'd probably make the playoffs yeah. in 2014. I mean, the Eastern Conference was just awful. Yeah. Just As absolutely a awful. Seven or eight seed, get knocked out in the first round, maybe like Miami Heat, so you have LeBron and Ray Allen and Chris Bosch. Yeah. So, so that mediocrity is what we're talking yeah. here. We're talking so they, mediocrity. They probably in the twenty fourteen draft they would have had a pick similar to what they got from the Nets. So they probably will they really like James Young, so they probably still would have taken him, and that was obviously a bust. Yes. Again, James so, Young, the person the absolute bust that we've never even heard of as a Celtics yeah. fan. The biggest, the biggest impact here is they obviously wouldn't have had the sixth pick because they would have had a much better roster having not made the trade. So they would not have gotten Marcus Smart, who yeah. might not be statistically, might not be the best player, but he's yeah. tenacious, he's ferocious, he's yeah. an awesome defender. He brings a lot of heart to the Celtics yeah. franchise. He's an, he's an everyday player for the Celtics now. Yeah. And the fans love him. Their, yeah, absolutely. So that's a major piece gone from the team today. That would have He would have been developing over this time. And yeah, he's just... So after that 2014 season, it would definitely would have been clear the Celtics need to rebuild. They're an aging team. Garnett and Pierce are getting old. So I could maybe see Pierce coming back to the team. He's been the Celtics his entire career. He wants to stay with them. But Kevin Garnett might want to go back to the Timberwolves. Yeah, as he did on the Nets after, what was it, two, two years? Seasons. Two seasons on the Nets. He wanted out. Which was after then he realized the championship contention is over. I think he would either want to be on a contender or with the uh, Timberwolves. Exactly, yeah. Once he saw the Nets were going downhill, he wanted out. Once he sees the Celtics are going downhill, he wants out. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. So we lose Kevin Garnett after the 2014 season. So now you got to start this rebuilding process, but you don't have all these first-round picks from the Nets to help accelerate your rebuild, so it's a lot slower. And now you already got Pierce in the fold as a shooter, and because you want, you're trying to get this rebuild process, I do not think the Celtics would have traded for Isaiah Thomas no. during the 2015 season. And that's a major, major part of the new Celtics after the big three yeah. left. Yeah, as a Celtics fan, I really hate to see it, but Isaiah Thomas would most likely not have become the player he actually became on the Celtics if this never happened. There's no way he develops into a 28 points per game player, second team all NBA, fifth in MVP voting. And if there's any tell of that, once he came out of the organization, no longer had Brad Stevens as his coach, he just went downhill so fast. I mean, I think that's also a lot of it that's due to the hip injury that he suffered. I mean, with a player who is 5'9", in the NBA, their game is basically built entirely off explosiveness. 
and then you have that hip injury kind of kind of derail their career but still yeah Isaiah Thomas would not be on the Celtics he was one of the centerpieces of the trade for Kyrie Irving so Celtics don't get Kyrie so that's a major piece he'd probably still be on the Suns or he would have signed with another team in free agency so 2015 season, they're not going to be a playoff team, but they're going to be, in terms of those non-playoff teams, they're going to have a better record. So they're going to be picking towards the bottom of the lottery. Correct. You know, some of the potential stars that were seen drafted later in the lottery, there was Devin Booker, there's Miles Turner's, and Justice Winslow, who the Celtics had a track record of really liking. Yeah, they actually almost blew the Nets deal by trading what was rumored to be four first-round picks to move up, I think it was six spots to get Winslow in that 2015 draft. So it was never officially said what those picks were, but you can assume that at least some of the Nets picks that ended up being top three were in that deal. So those deals actually rejected by the Charlotte Hornets so they could draft Frank Kaminsky who has not really done much on his career so far so the Celtics really dodged a bullet there in real life and so we think that in our fake reality that they would pick Justice Winslow there yeah and Justice Winslow plays in the heat now obviously and you know he hasn't really been the type of star that they would hope for he hasn't averaged over 10 points per game except I think one season and you know we could assume that maybe Brad Stevens tries to develop him a little better than the heat did and, and he's still young I mean he's still growing oh he's still, he's still plenty of potential, potential. For sure, but it's just he's no maybe Jason Tatum, for instance, right? Yeah, he's not. He would have. He would be who Stevens wants to make of the face of the franchise, but I'm just not sure he has the talent to necessarily do that. Yeah. So I think obviously they go with the 2015 season. They're just not that great. So 2016 draft, they're going to be in the lottery again. The young team, they probably do have Winslow, who's probably their centerpiece. But I don't think tanking so much. So they're going to have a top five pick, maybe somewhere in the six, seven range. So I don't think they would have a shot at getting Jalen Brown. No. We're going to end up taking with that Nets pick. I think the best possible case here is drafting Jamal Murray, who's a budding star for the Denver Nuggets right now. He's a point guard, very explosive, can score a lot. But on the other hand, they could have drafted a bust, someone like Marquise Chris, who has just bounced around the league since he was drafted. Right. And you think it's possible that they uh, actually do end up getting Al Horford like they do in real life? I don't think so. I think the overall promise of that young team and having those Nets draft picks, and you have this team who's doing terrible, having those future draft picks from them, I think Horford saw that as a great opportunity. Well, I do think he was attracted by the city of Boston. I think as a veteran, he would have wanted to be somewhere where he could win. So I don't think he would sign with the Celtics. All right, so now we're looking at the 2017 season with this new young core that they have, and maybe if they sign some underrated free agents, it's possible that they get a low seed in the 2017 playoffs? I mean, you think it's just possible with the way the culture of Boston sports and success that had been happening at the time, with the Patriots winning a Super Bowl, the Red Sox winning the World Series in 2013, the Bruins getting to the playoffs multiple times. There's a lot of pressure on the Celtics to be successful. Exactly. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Stevens to sign some of these players, maybe rush their rebuild just a tiny bit. And it's likely that they can actually make a low seed in the playoffs, as we said, but they're not going to go very far. And with that being said, then they're not going to be in the lottery. And they're not going to be getting the picks that they did get in real life, like for Tatum or Markel Fultz that they had, that number one overall pick. Best case scenario, maybe they get a mid-round pick, get a John Collins to replace Kevin Garnett. But they really, they have no shot for Kyrie Irving. The team is looking completely different at this point, with really not much hope to, again, mediocrity is kind of the, the yeah. tale, tell this tale. The NBA, you don't want to be mediocre. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right, so now we're on to the Brooklyn Nets. 2012-2013, so this is the year before the trade. Their three best players were Joe Johnson, Jerron Williams, and Brooke Lopez. Now, this group of three, I mean, they were very potent. They, they carried their team to a four seed in the playoffs. Despite the fact they got out in the first round, this is a promising-looking team. 
So they think bringing Kevin Garnett in and Paul Pierce and Jason Terry, they think it's really going to bring them a championship. If they never make this trade with this mentality he's coming in with, just buy, 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 Prokhorov is going to try to make a deal no matter what, right, Michael? Yeah, so basically these, these first-round picks, I feel like they're just gone anyway. Prokhorov is always going to sell yeah. the future for the exactly. present. Which... He sees this team, this core of three guys. He's like, if I just bring a couple more guys in, this is a championship team for sure. The problem is none of these guys are a number one in a champion team. Maybe not even number two. You basically have a bunch of number three guys and number four guys. Like They don't, they don't have an all-out star that you need to win a championship in the current NBA superstar era. So we were looking at some of the people that were traded right around that time. We saw there were names like Andre Iguodala. There was names like J.J. Redick. There were some of these other guys. Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe, you know, all of these good names. It's likely he would have traded for at least one of those guys. Even bringing in someone like Dwight Howard or Steve Nash uh, over from the Lakers, who were kind of on a little decline as well, um, just to get that, that name brand. Yeah, just that championship experience some that's going to bring them a championship. Actually, in the 2013-14 to 14 season... They did only get a sixth seed with their new star players, but they won the playoff series against the number three. Yeah, that's just the experience that Garnett and Pierce were going to bring to the team. So that did that did end up helping them there, but the regular season, they were not as good as the year before. Absolutely not. It's kind of tough. Yeah. All right, so assuming they pull off one of these big-time trades, it's likely that the timeline doesn't really change all that much. They bring in some of these older guys that are going to bring success to the team for maybe a year or two after Carvin Garnett or Paul Pierce would have been. Maybe they wouldn't fall off quite as hard. But in the end, they're going to be without their draft picks, and they're going to be having to rebuild again, you know, from scratch almost. And, you know, what's also just so unfortunate about the situation for the Nets is that they paid what is still an NBA record $90 million in luxury tax, which means they went above the NBA salary cap, so they have to pay more money, proportionally to the amount of money that goes over the cap. So basically, to keep a very mediocre team together, they paid an astronomical amount of money, which is not good for yeah. Prokhorov. I mean, that's, se- that's severely limited who they could reach out to, who they could bring into the team, you know, who they could sign in free agency and such. Yeah. Like, they, free agency wasn't, just wasn't really even an option for them. No, it wasn't. It's was more they had to get rid of contracts. Exactly. So that's why for those three years where they were winning 20 games a season, there's nothing they could do. Yeah. No picks, no money. They were kind of hopeless. So basically, if you kind of, like, wrap things up, they gave up a number one pick, a number three pick, a number eight pick, and a number 16 pick for two aging players. And... Neither of them made significant impacts to the team. Maybe the best thing they did was offer some playoff experience. All right, so the final question we have to ask is, did Prokhorov succeed in his goal of increasing the Nets' fan base? When they were in New Jersey, they consistently ranked in the bottom couple teams in percentage of ticket sales, selling between 75 and 80% of their tickets each year. Now, the first season that they moved to New York City, they actually moved all the way up to rank 16 and sold 95% of their tickets. The move to Brooklyn definitely helped spark some enthusiasm in the Nets team, especially moving to an area like Brooklyn as a neighborhood, as a borough of New York City, has been on the rise recently um, in popularity. But I think just that move, that spark, well, it did help bring some fans. Yeah, and of course, bringing in all the big name players—that's going to attract people. People, are, people wanted to see. People were excited about the Nets for a change. It, it, I think the Nets felt good about that. They were like, "We're not going to take a backseat to the Knicks." People are excited about us. Yeah, and in fact, the Knicks—one of the top-ranking teams in ticket sales each year—they had actually sold out the year before the Nets moved to New York City. They actually dropped to 96% of their tickets. 
all the way from down from 100%. So he made a dent, at least. Prokhorov at least mm. made a dent in the Knicks fan base. When you keep in mind, though, that the season when the Knicks went down, they were actually were the second seed in the Eastern Conference and went to the playoffs. So this was a very good Knicks team. Yes. However, immediately after that, the Knicks sold out tickets for four straight years, and the Nets consistently fell in their ticket rankings as well. Ranked 27, 28, 29, and 30 in the last four years of ticket sales. So it is safe to say that Prokhorov, long-term, did not succeed in keeping Nets in the fan base. Hey, Michael, have you ever heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Test? I have not. Well... That's very interesting, Hmm. because I think it ties in very well with this case. Basically, a bunch of Stanford researchers went to a preschool and put a marshmallow in front of a young toddler and said, you can either eat this right now, or little Billy, if you wait 15 minutes, you can have two marshmallows. Now, what do you think Prokhorov would have done in that case, Michael? I think he would have gobbled that marshmallow right up. Oh, I completely agree. And how about Danny Ainge and the Celtics? Danny Ainge would have waited for the marshmallow. Of course. And the second marshmallow. Of course. And now look where the Celtics are now and look where the Nets are. Yeah. They got two marshmallows. You know what? Patience is a virtue, Dylan. Patience is a virtue, my friend.